Welcome to In Bed with Neil Moody. I'm Neil Moody, editorial hairstylist, YouTuber, Facebooker, Instagrammer, etc, etc. And throughout my 25-year career in the fashion and beauty industry so far, I've been lucky enough to have met and worked with some amazing and talented people. My In Bed with Neil Moody podcast series focuses around the professional and personal life stories of individuals who also think outside of the box. I hope to give you an insight into some of these individuals' worlds, what they're up to and where they're going next. Welcome to this latest episode of In Bed with Neil Moody. My guest today is the wonderful Lucinda Chambers. Born and bred in Notting Hill Gate, West London, Lucinda was introduced to fashion very early on by her dressmaking mother. She began studying art at Hornsey College in London, but started her real fashion journey when she decided to make and sell her own earring designs at Camden Market, eventually working her way up the ranks of the top editorial fashion magazines. Lucinda eventually became the fashion director of British Vogue for 25 years, plus she consulted on the brands Prada and Marnie in their early days, introducing both brands onto the world's fashion map, eventually leaving Vogue in 2017 when the editorship changed. She has now set up her own design company called Colville and is also about to launch another online venture later this year. I met Lucinda in her West London home where she's resided for over 30 years. We talked about her amazing career to date and some of the fun stories along the way. How she's navigated her way through the fashion industry to now running a business after being employed for so many years and also what's around the corner for this amazing fashion entrepreneur. Good morning, Lucinda Chambers. Good morning, Lucinda. <laughs> Here we are in Shepherd's Bush, lovely sunny day. Oh. So, um, yeah, it's gorgeous here, isn't it? Yes. I do love yes. your house, by the way. Well, it feels, um, um, well, I don't know, I've lived in it for so long, but one of the things that I never not appreciate about it is it feels like you're in the country because there's mm. very little sound. It's kind of got the best of both worlds. It's, you know, we've got a big garden, I'm very lucky and privileged to have that, and trees and very green. And yet you go out on the Oxbridge Road and it's so multicultural and there's amazing shops. and mm. So I love that kind of contrast. What made you move there, though, originally? Because 30 years ago, it was a very different place. Yes, yeah, so we have it? lived there for 30 years. Um, well, we've actually lived, I've lived in the Shepherd's Bush going on probably sort of, yeah, 35 years. I think because I was born in Nottingham Gate, I've always been a kind of West London girl. But I've lived everywhere except South London. So it's, I think London's very tribal like that. She's so you've done North and I've East. Done, I've done Camden, lived in a squat in Camden for five years. Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk I've about I've never done that. East, actually. No, you're right. I've never done East. I've done, I'm, I'm kind of West. West mm. and North, yeah. 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 And but so, we moved every 18 months when I was a child. Yeah, so you were born in Notting Hill. Yeah, born okay. behind the gate cinema. Oh, God. Yeah. Near the chip, fish and chip shop. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> is that Beals, is it? No, Geals. Geals, that's yes. it. I love it. Love it. it. Yeah. So how was your childhood? How would you Very parasitic, because we, my mother wanted to move house, not because we could afford to, but because we couldn't. I mean, that's how she made money. Uh, or made any money every 18 months but only on page 58 of the A to Z <laughs> so walking distance between the Bobbington Archery and Harrods even though I was born in Notting Hill Gate um, she would find very rackety flats which was doable in those days mm. do them up herself literally wallpapering 
she could build dried stone walls with her fingers. Really? Yes. She was incredibly practical with her hands. Mm. Um, and she'd do up the houses, and then the minute they were finished, she'd sell them and we'd move on. So consequently, I've never wanted to move. <laughs> and, and the thought of moving would be like a nightmare. Yeah. But sometimes I do have nightmares. Because <laughs> it's obviously very ingrained. So you're like, once you're in Shepherd's Bush, you're like, yeah. that is it. We're That's here it. forever. So we've been in the house for, yeah, yeah, all these years. How much do you think the area's changed, though, Shepherd's Bush? Well, think? I think, fantastically, good and bad. It's not changed in terms of it hasn't been kind of gentrified in the terms of, in the fact that you've still got very, very people living there. Mm. The sad thing is the houses are crazy, ridiculously expensive. But there's enough people, there's enough flats, and there's enough rented property that you still get that real cultural mix. Mm. But say the person next door to us is now a banker as opposed to a piano teacher. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what's changed. Yeah. Because you know I used to live on the Uxbridge Road? Oh, yeah, did you? A year after I moved to London, which was in did 1988. Which so I was there it? in 89. Kind of in the middle. Oh, like us? Yeah. My friend who I went to live with, who was a model at the time, she killed me for telling you that because she hates it, but um, <laughs> her, parents, yeah, her parents owned a big locksmith on the Oxbridge Road, oh. and we lived above it. Oh, funny. Mm. So um, it was called Heart Security. Right. And... Um, yeah, it was just past the, what's the tube station on the Oxbridge Road? The Shepherd's Bush Shepherd's Market. Shepherd's Market. It was about a five-minute walk up oh, from wow. there. Oh, so really close to us. Yeah, yeah. And really? I lived there for two years. But I remember, you know, that to me, that road, just everybody lived above shops. Yes, yes. Um, but then and when you'd do. go off the little streets like yours, yeah. suddenly there's these amazing houses. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, um, yeah, I have lots of fun memories of yeah. Shepherd's Yeah, and Bush. I think the house, you know, we bought it because it's, it's big, you know, it's got five bedrooms and it's got a massive garden. Mm. And what was wonderful, when we first moved in, we knew everybody in the street and there'd be interconnecting garden gates. Right. And all the kids would come and play in our garden because we had a massive trampoline. Oh, amazing. So it was like having a kind of like playground, <laughs> you know, outside. It was just wonderful. Because you've got how many children? Three? Three. Yeah, three, three boys. boys. Yeah. 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 Toby, who's all grown up now. Yeah, he's all grown up. <laughs> well, they're all meant to be grown up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they say they're grown up. They say they're grown up. How old's the youngest now? Well, 21. Oh but he's God. like the baby. But yeah, they, you know, on their passports, they could go and, you know, fight for their country. Yeah, because I think I met him when he was about six. Yes. Something yeah. like that. Must Toby, yeah. No, not Toby. The, oh, the, the youngest. Really? Is he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, you could remember him. <laughs> <laughs> He's negotiating his party as we speak. I bet he is. Yeah, I bet he is. <laughs> and are you negotiating We're, back? One hundred percent. And actually, he's amazing because when you get a, when you have a third child, there's no guilt. You know, he has. A, he's had a really nice life. He's. You know, mm. we, we've done him proud. Yeah. So when he's gone, going, you know, can I push for the, you know, prosecco behind the bar? You're like, no, to us. He goes, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> You know, where's with the other one? You're like, yes! Because <laughs> I was such a, you know, I was always away on their birthdays because yeah. I was working so hard. <laughs> I heard about you and your mother used to go to Harrods and measure clothes. Yeah. Which, I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> so we were both pretty obsessed by clothes. Yeah. Probably her more than me, actually. Mm -hmm. But she was but this fantastic... was before you were in fashion. Oh my gosh, it was when yeah. I was a child growing up. Mm. Um, and she taught dressmaking. My mother taught dressmaking, flower arranging and cooking. And she was amazing at all three. She used to teach debutantes right. how to do those three. 
It's right. very important. Uh, in at a finishing days. school? <laughs> no, it was in a woman's house in South Kent called Betty Bailey. Mm. And mummy would teach, my mother would teach that. So she was, and she would make school uniforms. My mother always made the cloaks for a school in South Ken that had navy blue cloaks with wee willy winky red hats. And I would sew on the buttons. Still going, they still have the same school uniform. Really? Yes. Amazing. So when I see them sometimes, I have flashbacks <laughs> of sewing on those buttons. Millions of buttons. But she was very entrepreneurial, my mother. So she would do that and then she would make apricot jam. with, mm. And I would put all the ha- gingham hats on them and we would go around flogging them to delicatessens like Justin DeBlanc. She always needed to make money. Mm. So it was incredible. Because she was a single mother, right? You're... She wasn't, but my father's business was very up and down. One minute he'd say, we've got to sell the car, we've got to sell the house. He was in advertising and it was like he'd lost a client, gained a client. So there was always this pressure on us. And mm. you know, and I got my first job when I was 15 in a newsagent and I never looked back. I never stopped working. Mm. Um, so my mother was very entrepreneurial and very get crafty. Yeah. And I learned to sew. So, yeah, we would go to Harrods, we'd go to the designer floor, we'd go into the changing room. My mother, and actually I'm the same, never about to tape measure. I'm never... Somebody said, I've seen day, you with your tape yeah, measure. Somebody else said, have you got a tape measure? I said, I do. And they're like, what, do you just carry that in your bag? And they're like, I do. Randomly. Force of habit. Yeah. Mm. And we were going to Harrods and we'd look at everything and I'd try everything on and we would measure it and then we'd go to a clothes, you know, a cloth shop mm-hmm. and my mother would make it. So I had like amazing like snakeskin pinafores. Mm. I remember a red PVC. I, I think I wore kind of wedge shoes when I was 12. Totally inappropriate. My mother <laughs> really pushed, you know, she was very experimental. Mm. Um, never afraid of, you know, I'd wear black polo neck sweaters, snakeskin pinafores, black red tights, lace tights. Mm. There was another shop called Kids in Gear. We could never afford that in the King's Road. We'd try on everything there as well. Yeah. So yeah, so I think I got a lot Mm. From her. My mum was very like that. I used to um generational thing. Yeah, I used to get her to knit jumpers for me. Like I'd see a jumper in a magazine and go, I want that. She'd be like, Can't afford to buy you, but I'll knit it for you. Amazing. And she'd knit things and then I remember we used to go to lots of fancy dress parties. Don't ask me why. Yes. But she'd make all of our costumes costumes for us because she was like, It's just easier, we'll do it at home. Yes. And I I do think that sort of rubbed off on us a little bit. And I think it's coming back. I think it completely went with the of, you know, the era of the high street and yeah. everything was so disposable and so cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think now what's wonderful is there's a kind of real craft movement coming back from necessity because people don't have so much disposable income, but also for the sheer love of it mm-hmm. and the fact that you want something to last. Yeah. But what I love about your story, Neil, is that, and what I love about, what I really appreciate about my mother is that our parents, your mother, my mother, saw the point in things that were in fashion in their day. Like, yeah. my mother would never be of her generation. She would always look ahead. Mm. And your mother obviously didn't mind you saw something in a fashion mag- magazine that made perfect sense to you. Yeah. And your mother saw the point of it because yeah. you liked it. Mm. And I love that. Like, my mother would always want to know what music we were listening to mm. and how we danced. <laughs> I remember my brother and I... She said, well, how do you dance these days? Yeah. And we would do a dance. Mm. She wanted to know. She was totally engaged in the next generation. Yeah. And what interested them. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Is she still alive? No. 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 And, but weirdly, I was thinking about it so much. I was grouting a table. You know, this is recently with a lollipop stick, as you do. <laughs> and, uh, 
And it was the table was made up of all the broken plates that my children have broken, and they are three boys. Yeah. And nothing matches in our house, as you can see. Mm. Nothing is the same. <laughs> and we broke they broke a lot of plates. And I didn't mind. I'd think, you know what, I'll keep all those broken plates because one day I will oh. make a mosaic table mm. and I will grout it. So I was grouting this table with a lollipop stick. And of all these broken plates with all the mismatched patterns. And I thought, this is what my, this is my mother's legacy. Mm. Is I am never happier than when I'm making something for a magazine or when I'm, you know, doing something that's very sticky back plastic. That's yeah. from the heart, from the head. Mm. That hasn't been made before. That's very get crafty. Yeah. I, I really connect with that. I love your own craft show. <laughs> <laughs> One day. <laughs> On TV, can yeah. you imagine? Yes, I can. This is what... I'm, no. If you've got this, you can make this. Well, it's not yeah. far from what it's I knew. right? Yeah. But I think some of that, like you say, I think the generation thing as well. You know, my yeah. parents were working class. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of money. They worked, but, you know, they, they were working to keep us all going. And so everything was resourceful all the time. And recycled. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my grandmother had a cupboard full of brown paper and string and elastic rounds. Yeah. My mum still keeps Christmas paper after she's yes. taken it off the present. Yes. Because she's like, I can make another Christmas card exactly. next year with that. And you'll yes. get like, yeah. okay. I mean, me and my sister make fun think, of her for it. But, but I think <laughs> we're, I think everybody now, particularly the next generation, are thinking like that. Yeah. I mean, all my son's friends and I know with my children, they definitely think in a much more sustainable, ecological, what's, oh yeah, 100%. Mm. So I think... We weren't of that generation, but I think we're learning from the next generation, which yeah. is great. Yeah. So your first step into fashion, really, was, um, again, I heard this, was that you made earrings and sold them on Portobello Road Market. Well, not on Portobello, on, in Camden Market. Oh, actually. Camden. Yes. Oh, whoever wrote, said Portobello, got that oh. wrong. <laughs> I wish. That was kind of like a step up, I think. <laughs> That was like the Howards of Markets. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it was Camden Market. Yeah. And they ended up in a magazine, didn't they? They did, in yeah. a free magazine. And um, I think it was called Miss London. Well, I, I went to art college and I did so badly because I wasn't really meant to go to art college. And my mother and I both went at the same time. Mm. And she got into London College Printing and she then discovered how to do marble papers, which which had died. Literally, had nobody knew how to do it then. And she redid re that. And then went on to write 10 books and lecture all around the world about decorative papers. She did really well. I did really badly. I was, <laughs> I was at foundation. I was hopeless. And everybody mm. around me was really talented. I think I'd won a Christmas card competition. And my art teacher said, why don't you apply to art college? And my, we needed the money to get a grant, my mother and I. So we both went. But I, I knew that I wasn't good at art. Mm. Um, so it upset me. Did you want to be good at it, though? Yeah, well, because I just, did. Yes. I, my sister was an amazing. She still is now. She can draw. She could sit here and draw us. I can draw us, but it would be a bit off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that could be in a good way. That could be in a good way now. Well, but yeah. and presumably, Neil, with your hair, you think of everything three dimensionally, yeah. and it's yeah. with your hands, and mm. you have to visualize it. Yeah. But maybe the drawing, you know, the the, the skill of it, the, te I, the technical. You know with shading yes. and getting, never could get making right. something two dimensional look three dimensional on a piece of paper. Yes. That was what I always struggled with. Yes. Yeah. And you just wanted a technique. Yeah. <laughs> I was longing for technique. 
and I thought, I'm just a nano heartbeat away <laughs> from a technique, whether it's spitting on it and rubbing it in. Yeah. Or, but just give me that technique. Yeah. No, and I couldn't do that. Mm. And, uh, and I was at Hornsey, which was at that time very left wing. We had lots of demonstrations. Of the, and the pewters, the thought of fashion was just like, they just were like, it should be blown sky high. Right. Oh, yeah. Mm. They, it was forever just Lucinda do marks on paper. And I couldn't, I couldn't do the marks on paper. <laughs> but I discovered the Perspex room. And there was just like colours and sheets of plastic and drills. And, you know, it's going back to making those school uniforms. I started making shapes. And then I thought these shapes could be earrings. And I could sell them. And that's what I did. And So entrepreneurial, very early on. Well, they were pretty hideous. I mean, actually... Because of the eighties coming back now, I see some of those sort of zigzaggy. You know, they're very. I did like you know fluorescent zigzags. Yeah. I sort of put patterns on them, blah blah blah. Yeah, and I saw them. Then I happened to pick up Miss London on the tube, and my one of the pairs was in was a magazine, and I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that there was a process mm. that you made something, and it ended up by being photographed on yeah. a model. It was like, to me that was like the most. Oh, so it wasn't just a still life? No, it was actually a model. On, right. That to me was the most glamorous, unbelievable process. I just, it, it blew me away. Yeah. And I thought, and it just, it blew me away and a light bulb went on because I, I thought it's gone from my hand to being photographed. So I knew that there must be a system. Yeah. And, you know, I hadn't really looked at magazines and I hadn't felt connected with that world at all. But it gave me the confidence to feel there must be this this way. Yeah. A way in. And were you working at Topshop at this point as I well? I was. I thought, I want to be in fashion, but I don't know how to be. Um, making these earrings, I did some photocopying, you know, <laughs> any, you know, secretary, anything mm. really, to make mm. money. Because eventually you got a job at Vogue, didn't you? I did. Which was not through any connections no. that you had there or anything. No, I just rubbed them up out of the blue. I was working yeah. in Topshop. I was working... I was working Topshop and I was working for the dustbin men in Paddington, typing out their accident reports. <laughs> and and I told them, I said, I'm going to ring up Vogue. Mm. And they were like, go for it. And when I got my job, they were like, because I, yeah, they used to come in and they had a lot of accidents mm. because they didn't give a shit who bumped into their van. I don't know, it was like a bit of a folly de grandeur. I just rung them up and I was so lucky I got hold of the personnel officer, then now HR, called HR, mm. um, and her assistant was ill. So she immediately connected with me and she said, well, you've never sat behind a desk, you've never been a secretary, you've never typed. Mm. She said, come in, I like the sound of what you've done. And I went in in my lunch hour and she said, you've got to learn to type. I said, I'll learn to type. She said, well, get in touch with me and you've got to type. I said, that'll be in two weeks, I'll get a book on how to type. <laughs> and she said, okay. And she said, because you, you, you've never sat behind a desk, you can't do this, you can't do that. She said, but I like, she said, who do you know here? And I said, nobody. Mm. And she said, well, you don't know anybody. And I went, no. And she said, that's okay. And she was called Angela Simons. It was amazing. And I rang her up. I said, I've learned to type. I can do a letter. I can do 80 words an hour, whatever I did. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and she interviewed me again. She said, I'm going to find you a job. And she rang me two weeks later. She said, I found you a job. It's the worst job in the building. She said, but it's a, it's a way in. Mm. And it was the worst job in the building, but it was a way in. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go home in tears to my mother every night. And she'd go, you know what? You'd, you'd, you'd be on your hands and knees scrubbing the floor. Mm. Which I... You know, she said, it's just your way in. And, yeah. and it was amazing. And it was secretary to the petty cash woman. And she used to throw barrows at me. She would swear at me. She'd say, you're not in the bloody fashion room yet. What do you think you look like? Because I'd make all my clothes. Mm. 
and they'd fall apart. <laughs> and I looked like Whilst a tweak. you were at work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, at 5.30, all the petals had dropped, <laughs> dropped off of that tutu. That was Monday's outfit. Oh, done. yeah. That yeah. was done and dusted. But I got one waiting in the wings. Because <laughs> I thought that's what you had to be. That's what I wanted to be anyway. Yeah. But I looked like a freak, you know. Mm. Didn't we all back then? Yes. Though? Yeah. So much more. It's funny because I've interviewed um, Alessandra Steinhardt. So she was the beauty director at Glamour. Oh, right. For 10 years. She just Amazing. recently left. But she had this thing about beauty. And actually, she got a job at Marie Claire as the receptionist yeah. in Amazing. the magazine. And it's funny because knowing that you did that too, I kind of wonder if that's how it still goes now. I don't know if it's as easy now, do you? Well, I think it's easier and more difficult. Mm. I think it's both. I think, thank God, with the internet, with emails, with technology, it's made it much more democratic. Mm. Thank God. Yeah. Because I, you know, when I started at Vogue, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of letters, a lot of CVs with a handwritten note saying, you know, she's a friend of a, MD or the cousin of the this or the yeah. goddaughter of that. And I have to say, that is one of the things that I radically changed at Vogue, mm-hmm. which I'm very proud of. I, I said, I don't want to see that. And I yeah. want to interview and reply to everybody who writes. Um, on the other hand, you get bombarded by emails. But, you know, at least the email will reach the person. Yeah. And depending on how you fashion that email, you could spark a... You know, I bumped into a girl, I'll never forget this, in Pret-a-Manger. Mm. And she looked, her look was amazing. She had like half dyed hair. She, she looked fantastic. And she said, I saw a documentary. I'm obsessed by fashion. She said, can I apply? And I said, yes. And she dropped in a Pret-a-Manger bag with a doll that looked like her that she had made <laughs> with her CV in the Pret-a-Manger bag. Wow. And I've kept that Pret-a-Manger bag. And I thought, one day I'm going to give her a job because mm. that was such an amazing way yeah. of applying to somebody mm. and you know so there are ways of thinking out of the box yeah. to apply and I think that you know in our day it was a letter and it probably sunk without a trace unless you knew something yeah. that's not good No. so I think it's much better now mm. probably easier everybody then. has a voice Yeah. can get it out there what they do what their mm. thing is but yeah. on the other hand everybody can get it out there well, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> and there's some people that really yeah, shouldn't no, right? exactly yeah. Yeah. so no. I think there's pros and cons mm. So you were at Vogue, and then was it Beatrix Miller was yeah. the editor then? At the time, yeah. Yeah. And I just, it's funny, because I was like, I don't know much about her, and I actually Googled her. Oh, it's amazing. And I didn't realise that she worked for MI6. Yes. Yeah. And she was so bright, and she was, you know, she was an editor-editor. She'd yeah. never come from fashion. Mm. She was legendary in her day. She, you know, she saw the likes of Stephen Mizell starting, mm. Mario from... Peter Lindbergh, to Patrick Dumont-Chalier, to Bruce Weber, to Snowden. I mean, I'm so sad she never wrote a book because she was going to and then she died. Mm. But she was there for years and she was she was a total legend within that industry. Mm. She was very shy. Was she? Mm. Mm. And she never came out of her office. It was interesting because I thought Sheila Wetton, who was a fashion editor at the time, also legendary, beautiful, and all, she was an ex-Molyneux model, mm. was the editor because she looked so incredible. <laughs> Whereas actually Beatrice Miller wasn't a kind of looker in that way. She only dressed in Jean Muir and she was stylish in her way, but she wasn't a kind of fashion editor stylish in that term. Mm. But gave so many people their start in their careers. Mm. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. All the fashion editors that are legendary today started with Beatrix Miller. Yeah. So yeah. Grace Collington and, you know... Oh, no, 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 no. And oh, it's interesting goodness. you say, because I know she didn't have a fashion background. Yeah. And obviously ended up in yeah. fashion. 
And I wonder whether that's what made her think, I'm going to give these people Maybe. Trump, because she, she saw the point. To give them one. She saw the she point. She saw the point, and she was very generous. And she saw the point in, as it were, somebody like Anna Harvey, who was a legendary fashion editor as well, mm. who did much more, as it were, wearable things, but nonetheless beautiful, and Grace Connington, who did bonkers things. Yeah. Miss Miller, as we called her then, could see the point. Mm. So she was incredibly generous and um, sharp and witty, and but also she was a journalist, so she was very, very... You know, when you look at a 1960s Vogue, well, all the way through her tenureship, it was... It really, Vogue was the zeitgeist of culture. Yeah. You know, it was when Bailey started, it was when Terence Donovan started, as I said, Tony Soden. It really mirrored, you know, it mirrored, you know, how Pinter from, it mm. was the written word was as important as the visual. Yeah. So it was the only real magazine, you know, the only competitor Vogue had at the time was Harper's and Queen, as it was called then, Harper's mm. Bazaar Now. Um, and that came along later. So very interesting times with very little competition. Yeah. And they could use anybody they want and they championed everybody that was talented. Yeah, which is amazing, amazing. Really, isn't it? Amazing. Yeah. We'll never see that And again. you became Grace Coddington's assistant, didn't you? I did. And I read that you said that you were a terrible assistant. Terrible. <laughs> Shocking. And I actually, I'm very close with Grace now. Mm. She terrified me then. The legend, Grace yeah. Coddington. She doesn't terrify me now, but we have a laugh. And in fact, actually, when her book came out, before I read it, somebody said, oh, there's a bit in it about you, and I was very nervous. <laughs> As I should have been, because actually it said, I was a terrible assistant. Oh, she actually, actually she wrote, I was a terrible assistant, but yeah. she'd never met anybody more passionate about clothes, which I was very touched by, because I am obsessed about clothes. Mm. Um, more obsessed about probably clothes than fashion, in a way. Yeah. But of course, for me, they went hand in hand. She wanted me to be her assistant, because I looked mad, and Beatrix Miller would say, she's not ready yet. Beatrix Miller would say to me, darling, you've got so much furniture in your head, but you are so hopeless and disorganised. Mm -hmm. And she really made me a very organised person. I would file, when I worked for Beatrix Miller, I'd file everything under people's first names because I thought it was so much nicer. <laughs> and I'd remember it better. Yeah. Uh, completely rookie error. <laughs> T for Tony Snowden. I was never going to find that letter. You were the only one that could find yeah, T for yeah. Tony. And, yeah. I mean, and I couldn't find it. So what help was there for anybody else? And I would forever be reading people. I mean, it was so unsustainable. I'd be reading their offices going, you know that letter that Miss Miller sent me last week? Can I send a bike to pick it up and I'll make a photocopy of it and then send a bike and return it to you? Brilliant. Because I could never remember the filing system. And Miss Miller really taught me how to do a blooming filing system, mm. which I did. And actually, funny enough, people who meet me think I'm very, very dizzy <laughs> and very kind of like, woo, but actually, I'm really organised. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually incredibly organised. Um, so Grace would repeatedly say, I wanted to be my assistant. And Miss Miller would go, not ready yet, not ready yet, not ready yet. Mm. And funny enough, I did everything at the weekends to do with Vogue. So I would sell Vogue, I would go to trade fairs. Um, sorry, that's Digby the dog and <laughs> trade fairs and all that sort of thing. And so met a lot of people at weekends because I was passionate yeah. about Vogue. Through that, I met Wendy Dagworthy, who was a designer. And oh, I she, remember Wendy Dagworthy. Yeah. And, you know, she would have sales. And it was the first time I ever bought a designer jacket was at her show studio mm. sales. And she offered me a job as working in the studio. Mm. And I went into the studio and I said, Miss Miller, I've been offered this job and I've been working for you for four years. I think I've got to take it. And on Monday morning, I was Grace's assistant. 
It was amazing. Wow. Miss Miller said, don't take the job. Yeah. <laughs> Darling, don't take that job. You're promoted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Overnight. Yeah. It was. I think I said that on the Friday, on the Monday, I was Grace's assistant. Yeah. So it was amazing. And Grace, of course, taught me everything, the little I know about pictures mm. and how to look at the world in terms of pictures. Grace taught me. Mm. And actually, I look at the world in terms of pictures. Yeah. Did you like being Grace's assistant? Did you enjoy it? I was terrified because she's such a funny fish. Mm. You know, she, was, she wasn't she was called the cod for nothing. <laughs> you know, and I really screwed up a lot. Yeah. And she wouldn't tell me how I'd screwed up, but she made it known. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. I yeah. love Grace now. I interviewed her for one of the Vogue festivals and I loved it. We had such a laugh. Mm. And I finally got to tell her everything that was <laughs> terrifying about working for her. Yeah. But she gave me so much as well. Mm. But she wouldn't tell me why I made mistakes. And I think that's very difficult because you know you've screwed up, but you don't know why. Yeah. And then she did me the biggest favour, which was actually kind of fine in a way. And I went to work for the beauty editor, Felicity Clark, and, and have to think of ideas for beauty. And of mm. course, I wasn't then a big... Actually, I did experiment a lot with my own makeup and hair, but I really learned about hair and makeup, and yeah. I learned to love hair and makeup. And mm. you know, we work together nearly yeah. a lot. You know, I love hair and makeup. Yeah, you do actually. Yeah, I I think, love, I, and I you love, like experimenting yes, with it, I do. which I love. I do because not some, on myself, but on yeah. Some editors don't. No, no, they prefer the clothes to do all the talking, which I understand and I get. And it's funny you saying about Grace because you know the very first time I worked with her for American Vogue she petrified me did she? yeah because she called me up at home I was living in New York and she called me um, I didn't even know she had my number because it was before mobiles Amazing. and she called me on the landline and she was like hi Nelly it's Grace Cardigan you know you're a bit like ah! yeah you want to put your phone on the screen <laughs> and then come back to the and, phone yeah and then kind of go hi Grace you know and she was like <laughs> I just wanted to let you know Neil she said I'm very excited to work with you but I wanted to let you know it is American Vogue we're doing. So it's not the face or ID. She said, so, you know, we've got to remember that. And I remember saying to her, you know, Grace, I have worked for, you know, other Vogues. I have. She went, no, Neil, this is American Vogue. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And I went, okay. And you, know, you put the phone down and I just thought, oh, shit, this is like, I'm now even more petrified. Yes, than you were to begin with. Yeah. And then we were actually on a trip and I remember on the... But she's kind of right. Yeah. She and it was totally all in the preparation. Right. Totally. With Grace, yeah. it was all in the preparation. Yeah. But I love that. Yeah. And did, and did you work with her again? Um, yeah, I worked with her a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. So it, yeah. it was good. But it was funny. I remember on the second day, Maggie Riser was the model. Oh. And I remember on the second day, she came no. up to me and she went, lovely job yesterday, Neil. She said, you're actually quite good, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it gets better than that. Actually. I don't think it does. She never said that to me. No. I don't think it gets better than that. I think that's I actually top of the class, Neil. Yeah. Like, you know, oh my, my shoulders gosh. dropped Gosh. about like 20 inches. That's amazing. Yeah, you're actually quite good, aren't that's you? That's amazing from her. Yeah. Because she was a task... She's a taskmaster and particular. Yeah. You know, she is a legend and her pictures are and were extraordinary. She was terrified because you wanted to do your best for her. I mm. remember... I remember... She was doing a shoot, we were doing a shoot with Bruce Weber and she wanted these very old waterproof trousers. And I remember going to the Chelsea fire station and begging <laughs> the farmer, 
that I could borrow their trousers. <laughs> and I was literally on my knees going, you don't understand. It's Grace Coddington. I've been so fashionable. They're like him. I've got to, here, like, and who cares? I've, and we're going out to a fire drill. And I've got to have those yellow Southwestern trousers because they look worn in. Yeah. And I did get them. You know, you yeah. would do anything for Grace. You yeah. just needed, you know, you wanted to do mm. the very best. Yeah. And it's fantastic. I don't think I'm her kind of hairdresser necessarily. Right. And that's fine. And she's particularly particular because yeah. she lives with a hairdresser. Well, exactly. So, you, you know, know a legend as well. A legend too, yeah. <laughs> so a little bit. Quite a lot to yeah, live up to. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I was, it was a certain time. It was the 90s. And I think my work then was very specific. Yeah. You know, yeah. now it's a bit, I feel, I'd like to think it's a yes. bit broader. But, yeah, it was very specific things. And I just don't know whether it fitted in with what she was doing. At so. the time. But, you know, I yes. got, luckily I still got to work with American Vogue with, you know, yeah. other people, Paul yeah. Cabaco. Um, Camilla, yes. you know, so I had a good run there, which yes. was good. Yes. She is quite an amazing woman, Grace, yes. isn't she? And I think... But all um, in the preparation, she would draw all the outfits out. She would have these long, long, long... I'm not... I mean, I love the way she phoned you up, and it doesn't surprise me at all, because she would have these long conversations with photographers, hairdressers, which is very different now, actually. Yeah. I'm sure... We, well, you know this better than anybody, but... You know, people are so busy, you get on the job, you do the job, you you know, you finish, you don't. Mm. And it was a wonderful training that, you know, if you did that preparation, then if things actually went wrong on shoots, it was okay mm. because, you know, I've just done a shoot with American Vogue and everything went wrong to the model not turning up, to the hurricane, <laughs> to kind of like getting up at four o'clock in the morning and one model not working out and just incredible actually mm. uh, couldn't have been worse and that was for American Vogue and because you've done the preparation you don't feel totally panicked you can change mm. things because you're shored up with yeah. what you've kind of done yeah. in the work mm. so yes yeah, so yeah amazing training but with Felicity the beauty editor she didn't like shoots so it was wonderful for me because, you know, I'd have to think of a lot of shoots and we had beauty books in those days and I was doing, which which sold very well and they were, you know, they would come out sort of... Oh, they every separate Yeah, very separate books. from Vogue and they were mm. all to do with beauty and uh, so I would be non-stop shooting, you know, mm. and it was fantastic and Miss Miller one day called me in and said, do a shoot with whoever you like, go wherever you want and it's your shoot. I never minded doing those shoots under Felicity's mm. sort of name as it were because you know I was doing rookie errors you know yeah. and I was learning on the job so I did a shoot um, for the first time in my name it was yeah. amazing yeah, mm. my, you know I'm not saying my name but just under my own steam yeah yeah and was, is that when you were squatting with Mario yes <laughs> that sounds like we were doing exercises I know so <laughs> was. Yeah. 300 yeah. squats every yeah, morning <laughs> yes yeah actually Mario had his own squat and I had my own squat. Oh, right. And lots of people had squats because, you know, couldn't afford to live no. in a rented thing. And um, Stephen Jones had a squat, Galliano had a squat. People had squats. Mm. And I had one and it was fantastic. It was in Camden, it was in Belsize Road and it was civilised. I mean, it didn't have heating and it didn't have a bathroom. We had a shower in the kitchen, but we were able to live there for five years. So yeah. I was able to save my Vogue salary. I was on 3,000 a month, uh, 3,000 a year, <laughs> 3,000 a year, a tiny bit to save up and bought a flat. Mm. Um, and I bought a cafe and converted it. So that was, again, really lucky because, you know, I didn't have any money for the deposit, but because we lived in the squat, I was able to save a little bit each week. It's and funny, isn't it? You, have, you were living in a squat but working at Vogue. Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of story of my life. Um, 
But yes, and also we had fantastic people living in the squat. So, mm. you know, I lived in the squat with Martin Welch, who was the art director of Vogue, who I love to this day. Mm. And he's a great cartoonist and a wonderful fashion illustrator. And we work on projects now together. Yeah. It's fantastic. And Hamish Bowles came to stay and it's where I met him. And, you know, lots of, a lot of movement. Yeah. You know, people come up, knock on the door and say, I hear this is a squat. And actually, probably legally, we couldn't turn them away if we had room. So there's a huge turnover of people. <laughs> and we've all kind of remained friends. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Like, yeah. yeah, Sarah Sands, who's editor of the Today programme. And, you know, amazing <laughs> Yeah, everyone's people. gone on to do, yes. like, really, really well. Yes. Yeah. And Mario, you know, we did a lot of test shoots there. And yeah. Like-minded people, really. Like-minded people. Yeah. Which is amazing. So cut two, you went from Vogue to L, didn't you? But from at Vogue, you were still an assistant. Yeah. But then you went to fashion director I know. Amazing, at L. Lucky. Was that a bit of a shock? Or Well, when you're young, I don't know if you, you're less frightened because you've seen less. I don't know. Mm. It's interesting. If you don't have that massive experience, you're not necessarily afraid of yeah. taking that leap. So... Sally Brampton, who was wonderful at Vogue, she used to do more Dash and Cash, and she was a writer there. Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch had bought Elle with Hachette and given the kind of licence, as it were, to do a monthly Elle in the UK. Mm. And he asked Sally to be the editor, and Sally knew me, obviously, from Vogue, and she said, do you want to be fashion director? So it was a massive leap mm. to run a team, but also in terms of salary and just being a fashion director, it was like... It, yeah, I think I was very, very lucky in the fact that I think it's very hard these days to make that quantum leap from being an assistant to an editor, let alone yeah. a director. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was able to put my team together and I asked Debbie Mason if she wanted to be fashion editor and a lot of people came through our doors and it was an amazing time. Plus the fact that we had, I was going to say no budget, we had budget, but we didn't have to have a budget. So yeah. it was ridiculous. You know, so you'd go to India with Patrick de Marchelli and you'd, like, you know, do three jobs with him and um, we were making up the rules. Yeah. And I think it was an amazing time because Beatrix Miller, I remember going in and saying to Miss Miller, I was going to leave Vogue and she said, you know, darling, I'm leaving as well. It's extraordinary. Uh, and Anna Winter was taking over mm. Vogue and Anna wanted to make Vogue a very different animal. And so I was lucky enough to take a lot of photographers that I'd worked with to Elle. So, so we were able to make Elle kind of what we wanted it to be. Mm. And how long were you there for at Elle? I was there for, I think, about four years. Mm. And then Liz Tilberis, who had been fashion director at Vogue. Everybody loved Liz. Mm. She was like the naughty schoolgirl of Vogue. Grace yeah. was like the headmistress and Liz was like... <laughs> Liz was like the naughty one who yeah. kind of popped the champagne and spent the budget and mm. acted out and <laughs> had so much fun with. Liz always says a thing. I haven't really ever said this. It was so touching. Liz said... People, because in those days you weren't credited on the page with your name at Vogue or Elle or anywhere. Really. And Liz used to say... People think Grace's worst sheets are mine and my best ones. And my best ones are Grace's worst ones. So <laughs> everybody always said, but when Grace sort of like didn't do her best sheets, people go, Liz did that. <laughs> and I thought that was so humble. And yeah. so, and that's what I loved about Liz is that humility, mm. which I really, I really learned a lot about that. It's like, you know, 
never get cocky because you're as good as your last shoot. Yeah. And your last shoot could have been pretty crappy, actually. Mm. Or you could have had disasters or whatever, you know. And I always think that. I never never believe the hype or the, or the you know, particularly in my time at Vogue, actually, I never think, I never thought I was a Vogue person. I just thought I'm lucky enough to work here for X amount mm. of years. Mm. But, you know, you'd still go home and push a trolley around Tesco and wipe a baby's bottom. And, yeah. You know, yeah. you never were that person. Mm. Um you just had, did your time there. Yeah. So Liz taught, taught me a lot like that, and um, she became editor of Elle, uh, editor of, sorry, of Vogue, and asked me to go back to Vogue. Mm. And actually, I was pregnant at the time, and I thought she was just asking me in for a cup of tea. <laughs> and uh, she said, Lucinda, will you come and have a meeting with me? And I went, yeah, of course, amazing you've become editor of Vogue, isn't it? so fantastic. And she went, yeah, well, will we, can we meet? And I went, yeah, I'll have a cup of tea with you when I'm passing. Definitely, 100%, love to see you again. Mm. She went, no, he said, I'm offering you a job. And I went, wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, I'm pregnant. You probably don't want me. Uh, oh, oh. And she went, no, I want you. <laughs> Amazing. So lucky. So, yeah. yeah, went back to Vogue. Oh, I only met her a couple of times. But oh, she's great. The, the two times that I did meet her, I remember her just being, it was almost like you knew her already. She was so warm. Yeah. The warmth was incredible. Mm. And... Everybody felt very invested with her, and when she couldn't have children and she was doing a lot of IVF, she would have all her drawings of her tubes were <laughs> push up at Vogue, you know, and she would explain the process to us. Yeah. She was sort of extraordinary, mm. um, open like that. And Grace and her were very, very good friends, but they were opposite people. It was yeah. amazing, and Grace, I know, misses her to this day, as everybody does, and, you know, because she died. Yeah. And, um, yeah, a lot of people you know, who are wonderful fashion editors today, remember Liz so yeah. and Yeah. Because I remember meeting her backstage at a show in New York. Yeah. And I remember being introduced to her and I said, I actually said to her, you probably don't know who I am. Yeah. And she said, what's your name? And I said, you know, Neil Moody. And she was like, I know exactly who you are. Oh, wonderful. You know, because I'd done, she, she was at Harper's Bazaar. Yes, she went to Harper's Bazaar from Vogue yeah, and did so, a wonderful job there. And she was like, I know the shoots that you've done for us. And oh, I was like, oh. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, she was really complimentary oh, and just she was, really lovely. She was, the arms were always open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought, wow, what an amazing woman. Yeah, because she, was. she didn't need to know who I am. And it and stood her very good stead, actually, when she went to Harper's Bazaar in New York because she had she had built and forged so many friendships mm. and relationships that actually when she started this very unknown you know, she revamped it and it was very a very unknown quantity. Yeah. She got incredible people on board. Mm. You know, like Mario, all the Marios, Mario Sorrenti and mm. Kate Moss and Patrick yeah. Peter, they all went to work for Harper's Bazaar because mm. they were so invested in Liz. Yeah. So you know, those relationships that she had and the warmth that she had and the friendships yeah. that she had built stood her in. She in, made that incredible. magazine. Oh, yeah. Like, amazing. Oh, it was, she went it was massively beautiful. Yeah. Fabian Braun. And, you know, it was it was a real game changer. Yeah, yeah. It was. Mm. So you were at Vogue for... How long in the end? Well, then I was became fashion director and then I was fashion director for 25 years. Yeah, yeah. So a long, yeah. long time. yeah. And um, you obviously got some really fun memories of being oh, at Vogue. Oh, and yeah. I, that's where I met you, yes. actually. First time we oh, worked yeah. together was when you were... Yeah. As, um, oh, yeah, you were fashion director then. I was think. I? Yeah. yeah, you must have been. Yeah. Because yeah. I've only been 
freelance for 25 years this year, so yeah, you would have been. Yeah. Yes. But um, I was actually trying to remember the other day the first shoot I ever did with you. Could you remember? I have a feeling it's one of two shoots. It's Corin. either Corin. Corin Day. Or with Mario on the Millennium shoot. Oh, maybe. Yes. Maybe Mario, yeah. Mario and then Corin. Yeah. I think yes. I did the shoot with you with Mario first. Yes. Which was that big Millennium shoot. Yes. And I actually was one of two hairdressers who worked in it because I remember I, it was over quite a lot of yes, days, it was. wasn't it? Yes. And so I couldn't do a couple of days and I can't remember yes. who did the other days. It was a massive project. Yeah, yeah. Because Andre Gertzky did a huge photograph of it all. And yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. Oh, how funny. It probably would have gone that way, actually. Maybe a Mario shoot and then a Corin. Yeah. And then, because Corin, we worked a lot together. And I know yeah. you were her mm. total. Yeah. You yeah. know, you had an extraordinary relationship with Corin. Mm. Yeah, I was with Corin. I worked with Corin for 14 years. In yes, total, yes. Which seems quite mad now. And her so. pictures really totally stand the test of time and beyond yeah don't they? yeah they do so you've done wonderful work yeah, with thank her. you um, oh, i think so i mean i think you know it was very it was of a time and it was yes. you know it said a certain but it thing. lasted a long time because of the absence of fashion mm. fashion with a sort of capital f yeah it touched a lot of people and it also touched the art world i think so yeah. it made a massive impact i mm. think what mm. they did with corin mm. massive I actually, it's funny because I think some of my favourite shoots with kind of fashion shoots, because we also did other things too, mm. she did a lot of personal projects, yeah. but um, some of my favourite fashion shoots were the ones that she did for British Vogue, Yes. because I think both you and Kate really let her do her thing. Yes, you know, so true. It didn't stop her from doing no. that. We embraced everything that yeah. she, and she was sort of a bit, actually she reminds me of Grace in a certain way, mm. and it's something that I don't think I have, but I think true, true kind of talent in a sense has, of that being very preoccupied with a very tiny thing. Mm -hmm. And Corinne had that. I always remember when we did a shoot, she wanted a hole in the knee of the model's tights. Yeah. And I would think, yeah, 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 we'll do that, but we'll also do blah, 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 lots of other things. She goes, no, but I want, and it, she was obsessive about mm -hmm. certain things. Yeah. What I realised is I, worked more with her that once we'd got that thing out of the way then it opened up a whole we could then get on with the job yeah but she was obsessive and grace is like that right. very very obsessive mm. about certain things and, and very unhappy got that until across. they got that because that yeah. was the essence of that shoot it was the dna it was the it was the heartbeat of the shoot mm. but colin yeah. was very like that. Mm. Um, one wonderful times we had with her. Yeah, but it we could had drive some great you nuts time. as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think nuts. yes, because <laughs> I think people in this business, as in any, whether it's music or art or theatre or cinematography, anything, mm. you know, that's the wonderful thing yeah. with people is that obsessiveness. Because Karen would have obsession over little strands of hair yeah. sometimes, you know. And but which she... made it the picture. Because yeah. I always think of you like that, Neil. Mm -hmm. When I think of a picture, I think it's those strands of hair that you do. Because I always think of you as the most kind of sensitive, that that strand of hair going across the face is what will make the picture. Mm -hmm. that, that will make the picture humane and beautiful and poignant and extraordinary. Mm -hmm. 
And if the hair hadn't gone across the face, I know anybody listening to this who isn't in fashion. Something of what? They're mad. Everything about No, but uh, you're right that Corinne taught me that. Right. I actually think that so was really one think of the little nuances that she really yeah. pushed on me. It makes a difference yeah. between something great mm. and something that could be ordinary. Yeah. Because she would constantly... I remember she always used to say to me, stand behind me, don't stand at the side. Yeah. Otherwise you can't see what I'm shooting. So true. And so that was always a thing. And then she would literally like, when I get that strand of hair right, <laughs> she, she'd go, she, can she, you see the difference? Yes, you, know? you could. And then back then, obviously it wasn't digital in the early days, but when we'd look at the contact sheet, she'd go, see the difference? And she'd make me look yeah. at it. But actually it did teach me all those... Amazing. That kind of thing that yes. you know, that nuance to look for all yes. the time, and, and I, it's I subtle. think, yeah, and it doesn't go away now. It's no. just there. It's in your, it's in your yeah. lines. Me, I was talking about this with Val Garn because I interviewed Val um, recently, and Val and I were talking about those nuances that you yeah. look for, and she was saying that. Well, we both said actually, when you stop looking for those, when you probably should stop working. Yes, she will pick up a spoon <laughs> yeah. and throw it in a makeup colour, mm. you know, throw it in an eyeshadow and smear it across the eye yeah. and that's the picture. Yeah. And that's the picture. And it's instinctive and it's it's on the job and it's in the minute and it's of the moment and that's what makes the picture mm. kind of fantastic. Yeah. And I think she's exactly the same as you in that yeah. respect. Yeah. She, and she's not, you know what, it's not being afraid. It's not being afraid to, and I hope I do that with clothes, is that thing of, you know what, I'm going to go in sorry, Josh, Mario, whoever it is, and turn the thing upside down, rearrange mm. the clothes, cut them up, put them back to front, mm. not make everything perfect, yeah. because it's the, it's the, it's the accidents. It's but the that's how I think of you when I work, when I know that I'm working with you, I know you are t- exactly like that. You don't have to think about whether you are or you are. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I think is what makes you Lucinda Chambers, you know, and what you do, is that all those things, you know, not there are there are some editors that don't go in and go let's turn this upside down or well, it's random acts it. of it's yeah. random, <laughs> random, random. Madness. yes somebody else called it the kitchen sink <laughs> <laughs> Sam McKnight actually said oh, that'll be the kitchen sink he <laughs> 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 did he did I think Kate Moss said oh who's the editor on that and Sam <laughs> it's Lucinda and he said so that'll be the kitchen sink <laughs> but I think I might go with your version <laughs> So while you were at Vogue, you started um, consulting, didn't you? Which was mm. quite a new thing then. Which, And I know you consulted for Prada. Yeah. And then for Marnie after yeah. Prada, didn't you? Yeah. With Prada, you were there when they started doing all those nylon bags and everything. Well, we'd, I worked on their first show and stayed with them for nine years. Wow. Yes. And I remember going around the office. So saying, that was when they stopped just doing luggage and stuff. Yes, well, it was when they were doing luggage. Mm-hmm. And I went around um, the office and I said... Has anybody heard of Prada? And everybody was like, no. And then I think it was Sarah Moa, obviously, because mm. she's so informed, said, I think they do luggage. Mm. And I thought, luggage, leather, factories, interesting. <laughs> you know, I thought, yeah, why not? I'd done, I'd done, um, I'd always done consultancy, actually, but for high yeah, street brands. you did stuff for principles, didn't you? Stuff, you started just principles. started principles. Which isn't around anymore, is no, it? No, sadly, because it was terribly good. It was great. It was a great premise. It was a high street shop um, that was owned by Ralph Halpern that was very well made, very good fabrics, but was for the working woman. Mm. So it was a brilliant premise. And it took the high street very seriously, and we did a really good product. Mm. It lasted for a long time. Um, 
So I've done that and worked for John Rocher. So I've done hit, you know, some of his shows, which was mm. lovely. He was wonderful. Lovely and, job, yeah, isn't it? Oh, gosh. Mm. Amazing. So I had really amazing people. And then went to did work for Prada. And that was a whole different ballgame. But I mm. think I learnt everything on the job, as it were. <laughs> and learnt to work with an incredible designer, that's Mucha. And mm. kind of like not very many people came to the first show. And then little by little. And that was really interesting to me of how you start a company. Mm. and grow it massively. Yeah. And I was with them, I stayed with them for about nine years, and it grew like into this tanker. And then when Liz asked me to be fashion director, I stopped, because actually I was working with Jill Sander as well. Mm. And I love Jill, and I love Mutual. They were two very different women, but it was a lot. It was a lot to do that with both. And so that gave me a great excuse to, you know, say goodbye to Prada and say goodbye to Jill just concentrate on Vogue and then a couple of years later we started Marnie mm. and that that you know I was there till we sold it to you know 28 years yeah so was it 28 years yeah. Marnie wow god that's amazing yeah. isn't it so that was also great because we started it and then we grew it very big yeah but it always felt like a very small you know in terms of what how it was run mm. it felt still very well Felt very family. Yeah. So that was great, actually, and um, and now yeah, I've got we've got got our own brand. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's you know it's a lovely Cut journey. Cut to Colville, because um, I know after you left Vogue, I remember you saying to me actually that you realised you you didn't realise that there was a whole world out there of people to work with who yes. you maybe necessarily wouldn't have thought of working yeah. with at Vogue or, you know, maybe they weren't right for Vogue. I wanted to ask you actually about that because with the newer, younger generation, mm. um, do you feel like work, because I know you're working with them a lot now, aren't you? Mm. Sort of, again, like you say, just people that maybe, I know some of them you do did work for Vogue yes. um, with, but some of them you didn't. Yeah. And I'm interested to know whether it's working with them as, do you feel like it's affected your work as a stylist or changed it in any way? Well, certainly, because you're able to look at everybody's work, although I try to look at the people that I feel have a voice, yeah, and not too many people because I don't want to feel overwhelmed. Mm. Because, you know, I'm of the generation, I am of a certain age, where all this technology is very new to me, and I've embraced mm. it, but I also know what suits me. Yeah. So... I think what's fantastic is that there are lots of people that I think are incredible mm. and we're able to access that. So there's never a day that I don't look at somebody's work and think, my God, it's, they're, so, they're so talented. They, yeah. they think so differently. They mm. think outside the box. They're mm. so amazing. So I love that about discovery. Mm. Um, and there's a lot that they can teach me. And it sort of makes me also... But I think fashion's like this as well is that you never get stuck in your ways. Mm. You know, you always... I always see the point of other people. I yeah. think I've always done that. I would never compare myself with, say, somebody like Grace Coddington or Joe McKenna. I think I kind of sit somewhere very in the middle, comfortably mm. in mm. the middle. So I've never kind of put myself in that bracket. I don't feel uneasy where I sit. I feel happy with it. Mm. And there are lots of people that I admire, and there are lots of people that I don't rate. Yeah. But I think there are tons of people that you can learn from. So it's great. And fashion is the very nature of it, is change. Yeah. So you've always known that that comes with part of the package. You've mm -hmm. got to change. You know, you've always got to change, but not in a neurotic way. What I definitely did at Marnie, which I 
definitely didn't do at Prada. At Prada, we changed the goal sh- the goalposts every season. We'd mm. go, let's shock them. But at Marnie, I set out to do a very different thing, which is not to change the goalposts. That if you love, because I also believe that fashion should be old friends, mm. and I love clothes that become old friends. And maybe you put them in the back of your wardrobe for a couple of years, and you take them out and you look at them completely differently. But they never mm. cease to exist. Yeah. And I love that. I think Marnie, you know, my proudest thing at Marnie is that I have women coming up to me saying I've had that skirt for 20 years Mm. and I love it today and I loved it when I first bought it. And I think that's right. It should. It should be something that you believe in and you buy and you fall in love with and it lasts. Mm. And it's good. So is that your philosophy for Colville now? Yes. So Colville is the company you've set up with um, With Molly and Kristen Kristen, and Danny and the people that we collaborated with at Marnie the responsibility of Colville is spread amongst all of us and I think I when you read about people with huge responsibility with these massive houses to uphold that people's shoulders are very they have to be very broad and I think it's very very difficult Mm. because the pressure is enormous and people suffer and the very thing that they want to do they've been brought in to do which is designing they don't spend many days doing that mm. they spend it doing brand imagery or content or whatever yeah. whatever or PR or interviews it takes them away from the very thing that they're mm. very good at and I feel very sad for that you know yeah. so with Colville it feels wonderful that we A we tell everybody who we're collaborating with and it's very open and mm. transparent and, you know we have somebody Danny Kremers, who does the most amazing designs for us, and mm. people doing the knitwear for us, and people doing the jewellery, and all the relationships we had and have grown along the way, we are using, and they're coming in, and we champion them. Mm. But Colville does, it feels very collaborative and very modern. I don't think we'll ever do a show, for instance. Mm. That's um, interesting. Mm, yeah. It feels very like all our efforts would go into a catwalk show. And actually, we want to be doing other things. Mm. So we want to be photographing it, or we want collaborations. We want yeah. different sort of collaborative mm. events. Mm. And of course, we all work together at Marnie and got on so well. Yeah. And you know, what you hear about startups is not that the idea isn't good. The idea is fabulous, but the partnerships fail. Mm. So I feel with both the things that I'm doing, at the, you know, for my future... I know the people very well who I'm doing it with and I feel very, very lucky yeah. and very privileged with my partners mm. because we know how we work. We know how we're going to work this out together. Mm. And we both have strengths. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And so that whole area that could be fraught and full of tension mm. isn't. Yeah. And it's massive. Does the business side of it interest you though? Yes. I don't know whether you were like me, but when I when I started my company, which I've now left, I remember I became quite sort of interested in the business side of things more, which I'd never... You'd never probably thought you no, would be. I mean, you know, I'm self-employed, I work for myself, let's say, but I would just hand everything to my accountant and go, there you go, deal with that. And, and you know, slightly and just, stick your fingers in your yeah, head. Oh, wow, 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 wow. I mean, me and my partner, we just had a tutorial about how to get everything on zero. <laughs> if somebody had said two years ago, you want to know, A, you're building a website, B, you want to know about the wireframe, C, you want an accountancy that is digitally mm. run, I'd have gone, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. Now, I'm like, bring it on. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I always was very, very interested in why things sell. Mm. Like, I would go and sit in a Marnie shop 
and watch women try things on. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Mm. And I'd want to know why they didn't buy it and why they did buy it. A hundred percent. Would I you ever ask them? Yes. Yeah, you'd actually And I'd want to see the sales stats. I'd want to know why those trousers sold. When the mm. commercial would say, you know, listen, you have to do another pair of black trousers, I'd go, but we've done the black trousers and nobody comes to money for black trousers, so let's not do that. Let's... I was always very interested in mm. what propels people to buy. Yeah. Very much so, because I'm very interested, I'm very interested in what makes, in how women dress. Yeah. And what, and this is part of my other company, and I've always been fascinated, and it was a big part of Vogue, actually, I have to say, which was particularly when Alex started the Vogue Festival, was I loved it. I loved going out, talking to Vogue's readership and absolutely making them, A, feel like part of the magazine, mm. and B, what makes them tick, and yeah. why they dress in a certain way, and what I could bring to them, mm. to make them feel less anxious about yeah. fashion. Mm. I love that side of it. Yeah. So yes, I think, but business, 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 <laughs> like a spreadsheet. Um, I'm getting there. Me a bit, the they st- I have to know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, we've just launched our, you know, we've just launched our company, and you know, for the last year, we've been raising investment for it. So mm. there's been lots of spreadsheet looking. Yeah. And pitching and meeting investors. And that's been fantastic. Mm. And I never thought I'd be doing that. Yeah. So that's a whole new Because the new entrepreneurial Lucinda Chambers, also, you also have another thing happening, don't you? Which I know you can only talk so much about. Yeah. But um, tell us what... Yeah. <laughs> yes. But really exciting. Very. Yeah. And something that I... It's interesting because you, you know, you don't, you're so busy looking forward that you kind of don't look back yeah. in a funny way. And yeah. especially, I think especially in fashion and technology and... Is it fashion related? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you're always looking forward. So it's been really so interesting to understand what I've learned from the past, what I'm bringing to the future. Mm. And I never thought that I would be applying it, applying it because... We are doing a digital platform, and it's so innovative and new and exciting. But yeah, there's, of course, everything I've learned along the way I'm bringing to it. And then, you know, adding on this incredible arm. Um, mm. But it's, it's basically, it's a platform, and it's going to be about affordable fashion, which right. I'm very, you know, having spent the last 25 years not doing that per se, I'm very, very excited about bringing that, because I was always incredibly interested in it. You know, I've always been a huge fan of the high street. I've always dressed in the high street mm. and trying to find new designers who weren't so expensive. Yeah. That's been very much part of my DNA and putting that into magazines. So, you know, I do for Vogue sort of high street picks and they generated, which actually, you know, generated a lot of traffic. Mm. Um, I'm glad to say, because that's what I can bring to our new brand. So yeah. I'm doing it with Serena Hood, who sat opposite me at Vogue five years. She was executive fashion mm. director. And Serena, you know, is half my age and has the phenomenal business brain mm. and knows brand content so well. Yeah. So I think we make a great partnership. So would you now call yourself an entrepreneur? Yes. Yes. I'm Good. Good. High five to High that. High five. Thank <laughs> you. That's the first one I've ever acknowledged that. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I'm so busy saying startup. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? So, what do you think an entrepreneur? <sighs> I, well, I have to say, since I've been doing these interviews, I've now questioned what it really means. is an entrepreneur. But I, I've realised that they come at all different levels and 
you know what I mean, and different walks of life. I used to think somebody entrepreneurial was somebody like, you know, Richard Branson. Yes. Who... Well, money, that had made money. masses yes. of money. Masses. And had thought outside boxes. Yeah. In a very... Which I do think is true. I do think they, they are... He is entrepreneurial, yes. you know, because obviously what he did with Virgin was amazing. But I also found out that he had four other companies before that went bankrupt. Yes. Which I found quite fascinating. And he's massively... I read a thing that said entrepreneurs are usually dyslexic. Oh. Which I think really interesting. And that kind of... You can see it. You can see maybe they did badly at school... And they had to sort of overcome difficulties, but they mm. were... Bi- I don't know. It's funny because what I'm finding is, yeah. is that everybody that I'm interviewing and also other people that I'm meeting because of this randomly, everybody's story of when they were young was is a is definitely a journey. It wasn't they wasn't they weren't they're not very sort of run of the mill. You know, no. did you just they didn't to follow a trajectory. They didn't no, not at all. And a lot of people no didn't necessarily do well at school or but it wasn't because they were stupid or, you no. know, whatever, or just not very bright, like you say, like dyslexia or, you know, that kind of thing. And well, they couldn't be bothered. They couldn't I could be never bothered. Bothered. I could never be bothered no. with GCSEs. Mm. I did just enough at school. I I knew get I was quite yeah. bright. I just my brain was too busy flying Going off, off in different tangents. In different tangents. But did you know, know you were creative, Neil? Did I you have a of, creative outlet yeah, at school? Yeah, but when I was at school, my creative... I wanted to do art, but because they thought I was academic, they pushed me oh, away from it. Interesting. So the only area I was allowed to be creative in was music. And I think my parents probably encouraged that too because they knew I was very good at music. But weirdly, I was dyslexic with music. I, could, I found it... I'm not dyslexic with words and numbers. Um... What's the, what's the word Music, for Notes, like all the notes were dull. Yeah, when you see the notes. Not in a good way. I oh. could look at it and just go, you know, some people can look and just play. Yes. I couldn't, but I could do everything by ear. Ah. So I would be able to work it out myself. And actually, it's funny because all my music teachers back in the day would say to me, that's actually a more natural way to be yes. able to play music because you could do it by ear. And actually, I think what ended up being my best instrument was my voice because I could hear it and just p- sing in tune. But yeah, that was my creative outlet. But then when I started to get to about 13, 14, I became really interested in fashion and clothes and colouring hair and, you know, because it was the 80s. Did you know what to do with that? No, not at the time. No. And it's funny because I thought I wanted to be a journalist. Right. And again, my... Was it a political... Politics or I didn't know. I just thought I quite fancy writing. You know what as well? I thought journalists travel. Yes. And I was in my head thinking... How funny. I want to move about. I don't, you know, I was So you in, knew certain things, you knew certain things very well. Yeah. From quite early on. Yeah. I just didn't know join where to the channel dots. them. Yeah. And yeah, and like you say, join all the dots up. So I definitely knew I wanted to travel, definitely knew I wanted to not stay in Birmingham. Yeah. I, for some reason, even, because I grew up on the outskirts of Birmingham, so it was very, you know, sort of suburban in a way. But I remember just thinking, I don't want to stay here. There's yeah. not enough for me yeah. here. You know, and I moved to London when I was 17. Did you? Yeah. It's quite young, isn't it? Yeah. Now, when you think of that. No, it is, really. Without and, you know, a job? Yeah, no job. But, I mean, I, I trained as a hairdresser by that point. Oh, okay, so you had a training. Yeah, I had a training, but I hadn't quite finished it, but I came to... You knew to... you could take it somewhere. Yeah, and my parents were just horrified, Yeah. you know. And um, I didn't live in a squat, but I lived in um, uh, a youth hostel in St Paul's with, like, 40 other guys sharing a youth hostel. What, what I find... What I love about stories like this is you never felt sorry for yourself. No. You just, you felt so, you were on mm. a journey. Mm. You never felt self-pitying or, I'm in a hostel with 
40 odd guys. Man. And I never felt I needed a bathroom. It's just like getting this for free. You're just on a mission. Yes. Right? Yes. And I actually, I've realised this, you know, that's what makes people entrepreneurial. People are on a mission. Right. Whatever that mission is. Yes. And I don't think then, I've, I've realised most people don't set out to necessarily think, I want to make loads of money. No. I don't, I've realised entre- being entrepreneurial isn't just about making money. Interesting. It's actually about pursuing your goals and your dreams. And I think what's really interesting is the difference between being ambitious Mm. and being driven. Yeah. And I always thought, up until my husband explained it to me, and it's part of the reason why I fell in love with him. (laughs) Um, Not the whole reason, but quite a big part, actually, because he explained me to me, which I'd never been able to explain before. Right. Because I met him and I heard somebody saying, we're at dinner... And somebody said to him, actually, that person who said it is now one of our investors. <laughs> I've just realised it. Um, thank you. Um, she said, what's it like going out with somebody who's... I've never met anybody who's so as ambitious as Lucinda. And Simon, my husband, said, oh, she's the least ambitious person I've ever met. Mm. But she's the most driven. And this friend of mine said, well, it's the same thing. And he said, no, it's totally different. And I, and I just heard this, and I thought, I... I always knew that I wasn't ambitious, but I don't know why I've got this feeling in my stomach and my heart and my head mm. that feels like ambitions, but I know it's not. Because I was offered kind of rather amazing jobs, and I turned them down. Like, I was offered a job at Chanel, I was offered a job at Chloe, lots of money, mm. lots of money, lots of responsibility, turned them both down. Yeah. And I couldn't, I could work out why I didn't want them, but I thought if I was really ambitious, I would have taken them. Yeah. So I never could join those jobs. And my husband said, no, no, they're totally different. Ambition is for people, people who are ambitious, do it for people out there to see how successful they've been. Yes. When you're driven, it's a thing that burns inside of you. Yeah. You don't really give a shit what people think of you. No. But inside of you, it's for you. It's mm. you doing it. So I guess you could say it's passion, it's, it's creativity, or it's, it's a, mm. but it's a mission. Yeah. And when I meet people like... Uh, in fact, I know them very well now, like Johnny Bowden or Kath Kidson, mm. who have had this burning, or Adam, who started Oliver Brown, who's just sold it to Chanel. You know, they have this burning drive, but they don't necessarily set out to make a million. No, no. But they just happen to along the way. <laughs> Which is handy. <laughs> Which, yeah, Which very is handy. handy. Yeah. But it's not their raison d'etre, no. is it? It's not like no. the ultimate goal. No. No. no, and I must admit, I, yeah, I don't think I'm like that. No. I've never, I mean, never I'm crap with like money. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible, you know. Well, money I've... doesn't represent, and I was talking about this with somebody the other night. I feel very lucky growing up where, you know, I was privately educated, but my parents did everything to do that. But on the mm. other hand, it was very much kind of like, we're going to take you out of school because we can't afford it. We're going to sell the car because we can't afford it. We're going to move flat because we can't afford it. So it was very, very uneasy mm. but I've never held store by I'd never do a job just for money for instance mm. ever yeah. I'd have to be really interested in the job mm. first yeah if they paid great if they don't pay that doesn't matter either mm. but I and I think that stood me in I have to say very good I, I like the way I operate in that respect yeah because then I always feel totally 100% more than 100% engaged in what I do mm. but I feel very lucky in that way but I think I don't, money doesn't represent something other than, oh, I can take somebody out for supper, or yeah. I can buy that beautiful pair of pairs of shoes that I've been lusting after for a year, yeah. you know, so it doesn't represent anything other than mm. sort of something that's not necessarily terribly important. Yeah, yeah, amazing. But, but you know, but then we work very hard. Yeah. Yeah, so that, dra- I suppose that goes back to what you were saying, you know, 
entrepreneurs probably work really hard. Yeah. Do they, in your experience? Yeah, they do. Because you, no, you, you've done this podcast here. Yeah, I know. No, they do, but I don't think they're actually going, I need to work hard. It's just what they do. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know what it is? It's not calculated. No. That's what I'm no. realising more and more. Yeah. It's definitely not calculated. So, which is amazing. Well, thank you, Lucinda. Oh, Neil, such That's a pleasure. Great. I want to just finish off. I do this with everybody. Oh, good. Um, quick rapid fire questions. Oh, okay. Just I love for a bit that. of fun. Okay, I didn't know that. You can answer with one word or a sentence. I or promise I will be Go short. into detail. Yeah. yeah. But it's up to you. Um, so, uh, let's start. What do you do in your spare time besides shopping? <laughs> Read. I wrote that because... Oh, you read? Oh, I read. Massive reading. Yeah. But you like to collect things as well, don't yes. you? Yes. Yeah. Terrible, terrible collector, massive reader, and go to films. Uh, uh, world cinema, I would yeah. say. World <laughs> cinema. Okay. What's your favourite food? Oh, full English. Oh. Yeah. Like English? Yeah. Bacon, sausage, fried egg. Oh. Not not hash browns. No. Well, that's not English, is it? Hash browns is American. I give the baked beans somebody else. <laughs> Um, is there an item, by the way, these rapid fire questions I do gear towards each person individually. Uh, is there an item or design of clothing that you love but cannot wear because you think it looks better on other people? Yes. <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> Sadly. Yes. Yeah. I, I, because I, I love clothes and I love dressing myself and it's a source of great pleasure to me. Mm. And there are some things, and definitely I think, you know what? Just not in my age range. Mm. But I also have to say that as I grow older, I'm more fearless about what I wear. Mm. It doesn't hold fears. But I definitely think... And I think things go. I mm. definitely... Definitely my knees mm. are not the same. <laughs> yeah. Mine aren't. No. Already. So, you know, I would wear mini skirts, so I'd wear, you know, bare legs. Yeah. Up. And now... No. <laughs> definitely a below the knee job. Yeah. Um, what's your guilty pleasure? Do you have one? Well, shopping, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> Markets, you know. But I, but then I've made my living out of that, so I yeah. can't be too guilty about it. It served a purpose. Well, some, do you know what? And I've said this to everybody. Somebody said to me, this shouldn't be a guilty no, pleasure. No, no. So. Because I think, oh, do I say chocolate? Because I'm absolutely, I've got the most sweet tooth. Oh, twiglets. Yeah. Oh, do you know what my guilty pleasure is? Um, hula hoops, chilli flavour, huge bag for a pound. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> When somebody Watching leaves the office, I do go to the corner shop and, <laughs> yeah, and I buy those. Uh, perfect. Um, where's your favourite place to eat in London? Oh, well, I love, and I'm a part of it, I'm an investor in Lalo's, which is a gorgeous club um, in Nottingham Gate. It's the prettiest. It's actually the colour of one of these rooms. It's a beautiful pink. Mm. Um, and it's a club and it's got the most delicious food. And it's not, what I love is I never thought I'd be part of a club. Mm. But it's not elitist. It doesn't, you know, it's not terribly expensive to join. It's gorgeous. They're a bit wibbly wobbly on the membership. <laughs> um, food's lovely. They have live music. It's opposite Trellick Tower, which is an oh, area yeah. that I love. Oh, so I know the one. Yeah, yeah. it's really, yeah. and it's very feminine. Mm. Beautiful green velvet seats, pink walls, mm. raffia lampshade. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. So I do love it there. And then I would have to say, when I do take the boys, we, my husband and I take the boys on birthdays and like we're, we're pushing the boat out, we always go to the Wolsey. Because mm. it never, never disappoints. No. And it's so treaty. It's mm. just treaty. But we go there like, you know, but you know what's amazing? We go there very few times a year and that you, 
they treat you as if you're there every day of the week. Oh, love Such that. silver service. Mm. I love it. Do you know I've never been to Walsley? Do you know what, Neil? Can I take you for breakfast there? Okay. We'll go for breakfast. Deal. We'll do a full English. <laughs> Perfect. We'll do a full English at the Somebody else asked me about the Walsley the other day, and I said to him, I've never oh, been. Oh, I'm going to take you Why there 100%. Never That's going to be my treat. Okay. Good. Perfect. Good. Uh, um, that's a deal. Who would you like to play you in a film of your life? Oh, wow. Oh, this is going to sound so... <laughs> okay. I'm not beautiful and I'm not clever, but if I was, I'd say Tilda Swinton. <laughs> that's so, like, reaching for the stars. <laughs> but she'd probably play you brilliantly. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, she's she... my kind of, like, worship at the shrine style. Yeah, yeah. And as an actress. Mm. Here's a bit of a fashion question for you. Recently... Obviously, Karl Lagerfeld died, bless him, mm. which is the end of an era. Totally. Do you feel that he is the end of the old guard? Because really, he's the last older designer to go, isn't he? Like, I know Valentino's still alive, but yes, he doesn't but design not, anymore. I mean, Karl was sort of on his own in the sense that he did what he loved, which was designing, mm. up until absolutely the last minute. And I don't know, and I'm so, was so pleased that he was able to do that because. Mm. That's that's really what mattered to him. Yeah. You know, Valentino has this incredible life and mm. he's on boats and he's, you know, got all his dogs and I know Carl has his cat. But, you know, for Carl, that was his breath. It was yeah. his breath. I think he said that. It's why he breathed. Mm. So you think, wow, can people, anybody in any industry, do what they love doing right up until they take their last breath? Probably not. People mm. change careers five times now. So yeah. I think he is the last of that era and he... You know, I was lucky enough that I worked a lot with him recently mm. on a lot of Chanel campaigns. And, my God, he was a phenomenon. Yeah. You know, he was so engaged. He was so curious. That's the thing that I think about Carl, is that curiosity and that work ethic. I think people have that today. Mm. But able to do it as well and as massively, as profoundly as he did it, with as much tentacles and so many pies as he did it. No, mm. probably not. No. I mean, you know, he would be doing Fendi one minute and then Chanel the next and then he would be doing a shoot and then he'd be doing his own line and then he'd be mm. doing a book launch and that sort of polymath. I think the polymath thing um, is extraordinary. Yeah. And I think he was second to none in that. Mm. So I think he was on his own in that respect. Yeah. And what was amazing, I mean, I lost a little bit of weight recently, is he noticed, like a tiny bit, you know, and I've, mm. luckily I've never worried about my weight, I'm very lucky in that respect, you know, my, my mother was always very slim, slender, but Carl said, you've lost weight, your face is better, in profile, better. I mean, it was literally, I probably lost like two pounds. <laughs> I mean, he, and then how he talked about, he was so generous, how he talked about you when you worked, and yeah. what you brought to the team, and what you brought to the table is he was so extraordinary in that way. And mm. yet, there was nobody who looked at a big picture. No. You know, mm. like Chanel. I mean... Yeah. So, yeah, was, he was... He was... What was amazing about him is he was tender and touching and observant and minutiae and detail and yet was prolific and massive. Yeah. And naughty. He had it all really. Oh, my well. gosh. He was mm. naughty as well. Yeah. Yeah. The things he said. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What is your best feature or personality trait, would you say? Oh, I don't... Well, 
somebody said to me the other day, your best feature is your, is your eyebrows. And I think, uh, my best friend said that. Um, <laughs> and I think she's probably right. <laughs> I'm not really a looker, but my eyebrows are, are good because I've never plucked them weirdly. Uh, I think I'm generous. I'm very easy with it. It doesn't represent anything. So I'm very, mm. I, I like, I love buying presents. I, I think the things that I love doing, and it actually ties up with what I I'm doing and what I'm launching mm. is I love buying things for people because I love imagining what they'd like and I think I'm mm. a good present buyer people go my god like I gave somebody a jacket last night and they went do you know how long that's been in my wish list for mm. so I think I'm very good at I like imagining like buying something for somebody which maybe they wouldn't have imagined buying yeah. but they wear it like earrings I think wear those but mm. I bought you these they go oh my god I'd never wear those but oh I love them actually mm. So I think I, I I love being generous in yeah. that respect. Well, you're good at making people spend money too, because you've got yes. me to buy things. Oh, really? <laughs> I do. Yeah, well, I have yeah. a cushion that you made oh, me buy when we were in LA. Do you regret it though, Neil? No, not at oh, all. Good. No, it's on my bed. Okay. I have um, bowls that you made me buy when we were in... Um, oh, that's hilarious. Camber Sands. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> you didn't make me buy, but yes. you encouraged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, uh, that's so good. Yeah, which yeah. I thought was very generous because they were both things I probably wouldn't have bought, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, what makes you annoyed? People being late, weirdly. Not a lot, I have to say. Mm. Not a lot. But late, late, lateness, because I feel, why do you put your time ahead of anybody else's time? Yeah. So for me, that represents quite a lot mm. because I think... People should feel respectful of other people. Yeah. I am. I think it's nice to feel that everybody is very courteous. Of, mm. You know, I think lateness is casual. I think that casualness is mm. weird. I don't mm. I don't think I'll ever be late. Mm. I'm not very good. I'm always about... I'm never more than 10 minutes late. Right. Though. Okay. Well, at least you know that's about yourself. Yeah. Funny enough, somebody said to me years ago, late people are angry people. I'm not saying you are, because I think you're the least <laughs> angry person I know. But interestingly, the people I know who are late are always late. Mm. Always. And I know three people who are always late. Mm. And weirdly, I think they are angry. Mm. That's interesting It's just like a fact. little a factoid. Yeah. Just pop in the box. I'll keep an eye yes. on that. People that are nervous. Well, it's interesting. And another one that my mother always said, which always works. I'm not saying the late thing are angry people always works. Mm. But it, it's just something... That you pop in the old that burner <laughs> yeah. and take out and examine once in a while. But the other thing, which is really true, is tell me. My mother used to say this: "Tell me what you boast of, and I'll tell you what you're afraid of." And that works every time. Uh. So when people go do jazz hands about how fabulous they, that's their Achilles heel. Mm. That's what they're worried about. Right. Not that you need to tell them that, but it's just good to know. Mm. And actually, it does kind of. 99.9% that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for that. I'm going to keep that one for a myself. Nugget. It's a nugget for a pocket. <laughs> a nugget for a pocket. <laughs> when was the last time you cried? Oh, wow. I haven't cried for years. Isn't that weird? That's good. Is it? I cry at the drop of a hat these days. I've realised I've become really emotional. Emotional? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. With films and TV shows? Oh, and... probably in a film. Mm. Um, I don't cry very often. Mm. I think probably I cry, maybe, I cry with laughter. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> That's the same. Yeah. <laughs> Crying's crying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, cry with laughter. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was telling a friend 
the other day in Milan. Actually, I was in Milan yesterday and the day before, and I was telling her how I really screwed up with somebody, <laughs> and I was telling, and the look of horror on her face was like, "Oh my God, it's me! You did what?" And I went, "Yeah," and we were crying, yeah. with laughter. I love that kind of laughter, yeah. though, don't you? We were when like, "Oh my God!" Hysterical I really, I, laughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's called folly to something. I used to do it with my brother a lot, where you just you're just helpless and mm. you go on and on and on. <laughs> I think I did this thing and I, I made this mistake and instead of like taking myself out of it, I just dug the hole and I just climbed right in the hole. And we were, we were crying with laughter. Yeah. yeah. And she looked appalled <laughs> and it just got worse. Yeah. Brilliant. Do you have a beauty regime? No. No. I would like to have. Mm. I'm a complete kind of... You wear lipstick Prostitute. Though. When I'm feeling brave and I wish I could find a red lipstick that didn't wear off because I know now, Neil, that I'll go out and go to the loo and I will look in the mirror and I'll have thin, tiny lines and I know that I wish I had lips. I love applying lipstick. I love applying lipstick mm. and I love reds. I've got about 30 shades of from bright red to brick, mm. verging on, bordering on brown. And I wish I could concrete on my lips so that it didn't wear off and I wouldn't end up with little tiny weird lines. <laughs> I love face oil, mm. so I do always, that's the only beauty regime I have is, um, I will always put face oil on, yeah. and when I'm feeling total spurgerama, it'll be sizzly, because I think their products are amazing, mm. but that's like, you know, once in a, in a while, and they really last actually, so I do eat them out, but I do love a face oil. I always put slather something on at night, yeah. and slap something on in the morning, <laughs> and a micro... You know, I buy stuff, especially if it says, if it says the word illuminate, mm. I will buy it. Yeah. <laughs> illuminate and eradicate, I'm sold. Oh, yeah. Anything eradicating yes. now, I'm like, oh, yes. I think I might yes. need that. Yeah. But I don't buy a lot of products because I don't want to be overwhelmed. So mm. I do, but you know, a friend of mine does a wonderful, oh, I love, like, for instance, Dr. Jackson. He sells in Liberty and I love his face oils. And I love how they look. Mm. They look very... Workaday, almost sort of boarding on the medical. Mm. And I love his. I go to a beautician once a month. For mm. Charlie, who's in Paddington, I've been going to her for 30 years. Mm. And she's amazing. Mm. So she pummels and squeezes and picks and pokes. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't go anywhere else. Yeah. Do you have a karaoke song of choice? Um, or a, if you don't, wouldn't do karaoke, do you have a song that you can't help singing along to when you hear it? I would never do karaoke. No. Okay. That's my idea of a nightmare. I can't sing, um, but there are lots of songs I sing on allowed to. Mm. And uh, actually, one of them um, is a wonderful song by who's, who I love, who sings it. Alleluia by, obviously, by, uh, I wasn't going to say that song, but Alleluia mm. um, by Leonard Cohen. Definitely I sing along to. Anything with Amy Winehouse, I definitely sing along to. Anything Van Morrison, particularly Astral Weeks know all the words sing along to mm -hmm. but also Norma Walshahouse sung a song that I only just found out that Freddie Mercury made up um, Love of My Life Don't Leave Me right is oh my gosh actually that makes you cry mm -hmm. and I do sing that but Norma's version is amazing mm -hmm. but funny enough I just watched the film Bohemian Rhapsody and it said that Freddie Mercury had made it up which oh. I didn't never knew and it's sort of not very queenish. Mm. It's not very what they did. No. It's a very sad, poignant song. It's did you do it as a solo artist? Oh, maybe. Mm. Maybe. He did do yes. things on I his own. I think it could be right, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did. Interesting. 
Last question. Meat or veggie? Funnily enough, I used to be meat and no meats. Meat and two meats. <laughs> A friend called me, you are meat and two meats. <laughs> Green didn't, cu- didn't pass my lips uh. for 20 years. Now, because I'm such a kind of go with the flow... <laughs> Um, you know, only eat chickpea and a cauliflower. <laughs> no, I don't. I love bacon, and I will have a steak once in a while. But I'm, but my, we're really veggie. We're mm. quite veggie. And I used to hate fish, and now I like fish. So I've changed it up quite a lot. Mm. A lot. Sorry, I'm lied. One last question. Oh, I love that. Where's your favourite place to visit, like holiday or? Ooh. Okay, two places, mm. and they're really, really important to me. So there's a hotel in Spain, you fly... Hang on, I'm going to get my notebook out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you always know great places. Oh gosh, because it's amazing. We're lucky enough to you know, shoot yeah. so many. So you've discovered these places mm. not on your meal ticket, and then yeah. you can go back <laughs> if it's not too expensive. So La Trasiera in southern Spain. So Charlotte Scott started this hotel. Have you been there, Leon? No. So she started a hotel where she didn't want to put anything that she hated about hotels into this. So there's no check-in. There's no minibar, there's no screens, there's no telephones. Not, you know, you, you can use your phone, you yeah. can do screens, but she doesn't provide them. Every room is different. It's 15 people can stay there. You do yoga. It's like she started, it's like a tiny village mm. where everybody pads around. Food, her daughter does the food, it's unbelievable. There's always interesting people staying there. You join everybody for lunch, you have your own dinner. So when I went on a shoot, I went back and back. I went on my own. I took my mother, who's since died, but she was her favourite place. Mm-hmm. You chat with people if you want to, if you don't want to, they leave you alone. It's a kind of ideal hotel, but it's small and it's wonderful. There is brilliant. And then the other place that I go to every year is one in Turkey. And come rain or shine, whether they have difficult times or they don't have difficult times, I've been there. And mm-hmm. it's called Machikizi. And you fly to Bodrum, it's really easy to get to, and it's really like Treatsville. It's totally lavish. The food is ridiculous, it's beyond wonderful. The service is, you know, you're you know, you've got a towel, you know, you rotate in the sun, mm. you swim in this wonderful blue sea, you jump off, they've got kind of wooden decks that go out into the sea. Water sports, oh, everything. You've shown me pictures oh of my this gosh, place. yeah. It's incredible. So you get mm. a really cheap flight. And the service and the way it is, is... And if you've got kids, which I've had, you know, lucky enough to have, I've taken them for the last eight years. Mm. And they're such different ages, my boys, and each one of them have loved it. And we've now made so many friends there that we all say when we're going to be there. Mm. And we're all there. And they're from, you know, people from Washington, people from all all ages, all groups, all Mm. walks of life. We're all there and we all meet up. It's sort of like our bit of heaven. Amazing. It's amazing. Mm. It's amazing. And it's where I can switch off and switch on. And I've this place in Spain. Beautiful. Mm. And it's, and you, you know, there aren't many places, I think, where you can go alone mm. that aren't lonely. Yeah. That you, you can go alone and, and you can go for two days and you feel it's totally restorative. Mm. So you feel like you've had a week's holiday when actually you've had three days. Mm. And it's not hugely expensive. Anyway, thank you, Lucinda. Oh, we Neil, are thank done. you. So I could much. chat to you for hours. Oh, I love it. As you know, we, we've done <laughs> we that do. before. We yeah. have. We have. Um, yeah, Many a bedroom. Thank you very much. Such a pleasure. Thank you for no, asking. pleasure to have you. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to In Bed with Neil Moody. If you want to get in bed with me again and another of my guests, then you can subscribe to my podcast on all the regular platforms to ensure that you don't miss an episode. There are other episodes already available to listen to if you want to hear more straight away. Thanks for listening. Thank you.